the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. Today, we're going to talk about your wallet and mine. They're a lot lighter these days, as more of the dollars we earn go to things we must have. Gasoline for our cars, food for our families, and even things like entertainment or insurance. Inflation is out of control. And now that the elections are over, it's time to turn back to the question of what's going on and what our elected leaders can do about it. We'll find out next on Detroit Today, right after the news from NPR. Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us today. So, here's something I know I don't really need to tell you prices are really high. They're high at the gas station and the grocery store if you want to go out for a meal, if you go to a big box store uh, every day. We're reminded when we spend money that things cost a lot more than they did six or 12 months ago. And while these costs exact a huge hit on our pocketbooks, they also sow a bit of distrust in our economic system. Simply put, it feels unfair and unpredictable to have to pay high prices when you don't really know what's driving them. And prices are not just high now. They have remained high. Annual prices are up about 7.7% over the last year. This has been a long stretch of inflationary suffering. And there was a lot of debate early in the year as to whether inflation would be temporary or more permanent. Economists were quibbling over this for a while, but it turns out that those favoring the permanent status were maybe right. Maybe this is going to go on for some time. Now, it's bad here, no question. And we are all trying to figure out a way to get through it. If you're anything like me, you know, you sit down and try to come up with a budget every month that takes care of everything you have to pay for and maybe has a little left over for savings or fun. All of those equations look really different right now. And I find myself having to give up things that I would normally say are necessities, but I can't afford them. I can't afford to maintain those things while prices are still high. And of course, this was the centerpiece of the discussion around the election, not just nationally, but right here in the state of Michigan. What can our elected leaders do to make this better? We, we always look to those who are in public office to make decisions about the economy and keep things under control. It does seem like whatever party you favor, they're just not, they're not meeting the task here. All of us are desperate for answers. But where do those answers come from? 
Namely, what can we even do about inflation? What is causing high prices to otherwise disrupt what looks like a pretty stable economy? How much of the Biden administration's policies have to do with it? How much is this about mistakes that were made in the previous presidential administration catching up to us now? And what does it mean for the Federal Reserve, which is responsible for managing much of the economy, to have raised interest rates several times? And how far are they going to go? Think about how cool the real estate market is right now because interest rates are so high. Push them higher and you could really do damage to what has been a pretty steady recovery from the Great Recession about 15 years ago. These are questions that are on all of our minds, and I know they were on most of our minds as we went to vote last Tuesday. For the most part, especially here in Michigan, we kept Democrats in charge and said, even if we're concerned about inflation, these are the folks that we expect to get us out. At the national level, certainly we know by now that uh, Democrats are going to keep at least one House of Congress. They may eke out control of the House of Representatives as well. But uh, again, the, the, the question is, is, does that mean that we think Democrats are the ones who will come up with answers? It certainly means that we don't believe that Republicans have an enormous advantage in coming up with solutions. So what is it that we're all expecting? What should we all be looking forward to? What should we all be prepared to endure as they sort this out? That is where we begin the conversation this week. And we have a great guest to help us think through all of these questions and maybe point us to some solutions. Emily Stewart covers business and economics for Vox. And she's been thinking a lot about all of these issues. She recently wrote a piece titled, What Aren't We Doing to Fix Inflation? And in it, she explores various ways that scholars think lawmakers can lower prices without relying on the Fed to manage the economy. Emily Stewart, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. So I want to start here. Uh, We have and hear lots of definitions of inflation. Uh, Lots of people toss that word around pretty recklessly. (laughs) So I, I want to start with what your definition of inflation is and what are the signals in the economy that really tell us that what we're experiencing is indeed inflationary? Right. So to put it kind of plainly, inflation is a general rise in prices. So your dollar in this case or whatever currency doesn't go as far as it used to. Um, You know, so I guess we can kind of think about it. People are living this day to day. You go to the grocery store and everything's more expensive. It's not just bananas that are more expensive, but also milk and bread and shampoo. And hey, your rent has gone up. And by the way, that airline ticket to travel for the holidays is more expensive. And so are clothes and so are gas. So it's when prices are generally going up. Um, in terms of where we look for it, you know, economists look at the consumer price index, the CPI, which are 
general prices paid by consumers. Mm -hmm. Probably something that most of us have not really thought about until the last year or two. That's where we see that 7.7% number that you mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, the Federal Reserve looks at a slightly different index, but same kind of idea. Um, you know, I do think sometimes we get a little bit bogged down in like the definition when I think people, as you mentioned, day to day, know generally everything is more expensive. Every time I go to the store, I have a little bit of a moment when I go to check out <laughs> that I don't think I was having <laughs> two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really crazy right now. And and everybody is is feeling it, you know, whether you are someone you know, at the top of the economic scale or at the middle or at the, at the bottom, I think we're all making real adjustments to try to just to ride it out and, and, and figure that something eventually will break. But, but I, I, before we get to the solutions and, and you know, what the, the various political takes on this are in terms of those solutions, I want to talk just a little more about, um, about what's going on you hear these statistics about a 40-year high in, in, in inflation, and, and you hear comparisons to you know the gas crisis of, of the 70s or, or other really bad periods of time in, in recent history, fairly recent history. So, so put this in perspective. Uh, is what we're experiencing like those things? Uh, will it go on? Is it likely to go on? I guess as long as some of those things uh, did, and and then talk about what got us here. I mean, one of the weird things about this, as I said in the open, is the economy is in pretty good shape. Other than this, I mean, there there aren't lots of other things going wrong. So, what is it that's what's that's driving this, and how does it compare to where we've been before? I mean, this certainly feels bad. Is it as bad as it was in the 70s and early 80s? No. Um, but I think it's hard to tell people, well, you shouldn't feel you shouldn't feel that bad about this. Like it genuinely feels bad. And it's I think for a, a while part of the problem was that some policymakers were saying that this was fine. And it's hard to tell people that this was fine. You know, I think in terms of how we got here, <laughs> there's no easy answer for that story either. Mm -hmm. And a lot of economists don't agree. You know, the long and short of it is there's more money sloshing around than people, than there are goods and services for people to spend that money on. Um, you know, in terms of certain factors that have contributed to what's happening now, everybody remembers the supply chain problems that we've experienced over the past 18 months that continue. You know, all the stories about ports backed up, about people trying to get goods that they couldn't. You know, you maybe you decided to fix up your house during the pandemic because you were bored and suddenly you couldn't get lumber. The lumber that you were getting was super expensive. So we've seen a lot of supply chain problems. Um, people during the pandemic also shifted their spending to goods, whereas you know before people were going out to restaurants and spending more on services, spending more on travel, all of a sudden people are buying differently. That pushes up prices. Um, you know, some of it is really outside of the United States's control and outside the United States's border. Uh, Russia's reign in Russia's war in Ukraine uh, is not helping in terms of gas prices, in terms of some commodities, grains. We're still dealing with COVID shutdowns in China that's also hitting the supply chain. Um, businesses are also having to compete more for workers. That drives up wages. Mm -hmm. 
the big question that you got at here too is congressional spending. Um, and you know, people will have different opinions on that. Did stimulus checks hurt? Did bumped up unemployment insurance hurt? Was the American Rescue Plan too much? Plus everything that happened under the original administration, under the previous administration. You know, that's a tough one, really, depending on who you ask. Some Republicans will tell you full stop, yes. And not only Republicans, some you know, more moderate economists as well will say the American Rescue Plan, the big package of legislation that Biden put in place when he went into office, that, that did it. That was huge. And some progressives will tell you they didn't do anything. It was very minor. The fact matter is it might be somewhere in the middle and it and it is probably much too early to tell exactly what happened. And we might never have like a full coherent story. It's economics, like it or not, is a little bit political. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking with uh, Emily Stewart. She covers business and economics for Vox. She recently wrote a piece titled, uh, What Aren't We Doing? to fix inflation. That is what we're talking about this hour. All the money that all of us are spending for things that we absolutely need, don't have a choice about how much more money we're spending on those things than we were six months or 12 months ago. Uh, the uh, effect that inflation and all the money that we're spending had on the election and what we expect for those folks who were victorious last Tuesday, uh, what should they be doing? What should they be focusing on to make uh, to make things a little more bearable? Uh, as always, we want to hear from you on the phones as well. Uh, of course, call and tell us what the experience has been like for you during uh, all of this inflation. Uh, what are you doing? What are the things that you're trying to adjust uh, in your in your day to day life to make sure that uh, you still have enough money for all the things that you need. Uh, also, give us a sense of why you think prices are so high and how is inflation uh, you know, affecting other things in your life, like your work, perhaps. Uh, if you're a business owner, call and tell us uh, what inflation looks like for you. How much of that are you able to pass on to your customers and how much do you have to just kind of eat uh, on your own. Uh, also, give us a sense of what you expect out of the elections. Uh, did the inflation that we're experiencing affect the way that you voted last Tuesday? Uh, did you vote for someone who you thought, hey, there's someone who's got a real great idea about the economy? Uh, here's somebody who I think will try things that haven't been tried. Uh, or did you vote to just kind of uh, protect against uh, more radical ideas, things that you think won't work that people might try to do. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can work you into the conversation. Also, give us a sense of what you think could be done that would not hurt workers or uh, lower wages or keep them where they are. There's a real relationship, of course, between you know economic policy and how much we make. Uh, what would you like to see done that you think would not affect, uh, not affect people's earnings? Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, you can also go to Twitter and hashtag, uh, hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start today with Robert in Detroit. Robert, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, first of all, I just want to say, let's take a moment and just enjoy. It's been 40 years since Democrats had control of the state of Michigan. That's true. 40 years. 
What happened in that time? Detroit went into the hole. The state of Michigan lost all its young people to other states. They've never, they have, we have Democratic governors and stuff like that, but they never had the ability to implement any of their plans. And I think that's going to be a huge, huge bonus right now, whether it comes from education, environment, the arts, tourism, everything is just going to explode. And I see a renaissance coming. But right now for this show, I want to talk about um, inflation. It's because of the war. It's a global thing. And the gas price is going up. And that's making everything going. So right now, what can we do? The Democratic-controlled state of Michigan can take the regulatory commission for the utilities and say, no, you've been making too many profits. And for the next so many years, while the war is going on, we're going we're gonna to cut the amount of profits you can make on that. You can still make a profit, but you can't make what you were making before. Tax holiday on the gas uh, for automobiles. If people can afford their utilities and they can afford the ability to get to work, we can encourage manufacturing of clean energy, all those things that need to be done. And Jimmy Carter put uh, solar panels on the White House and Reagan took them down. You know, if we'd have done this 40 years ago, we'd be in a whole different place where we're not dependent on other countries, Mm. other states, and and just a misery. So I'm very excited. And there are very real things that Democrats can do right now in the state of Michigan. You you know, Robert... Robert, I, I love that you called and had really specific things that you think uh, Democrats, especially here in Michigan, can do. I think that's one of the big question marks is how much uh, a governor and uh, a legislature, if he or she has uh, you know, control over that legislature in the same, you know, they're in the, of the same party, like how much they can actually do. And you, you, you had some specific ideas there that I think are, are, are interesting. Um, Emily Stewart, let, let's start there with uh, state governments and the things that, that happened last Tuesday uh, that, for instance, as Robert points out, uh, put Michigan government for the first time in 40 years entirely in the hands uh, of the Democratic Party. What are the things that uh, what are the levers that that those folks in Lansing can actually pull that would have an effect on all of this? I mean, it's a tough question. And to be clear, I focused a lot more of this on the national level than on the state and local level. Um, But I've talked to some people who mentioned, you know, things around the edges, like your caller brought up. Things like looking at prices and not necessarily not to say that utilities are doing price gouging, but but do you know that you can take a look at how much companies are allowed to make during especially times of of sort of emergency like we're in now. You know, one person I spoke with who obviously may not work in Michigan, but talked about in New York City where I'm based, rent regulations, mm-hmm. you know, and you can try that in other places. Rent rising rents are a problem in many parts of the country. Uh, putting in regulations so that your landlord cannot, for a time, jack up your rent by $1,000, $2,000. Um, tax holidays are some, or sorry, gas tax holidays are something to look at. I do think sometimes around those, the concern becomes if you think part of the problem is uh, demand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that drives up more demand. Mm-hmm. It can be a little bit tricky, but I think they're all ideas that at this point are worth exploring you know, people are very frustrated with inflation. Inflation is a persistently high problem. Um, you know, most of the time we think that it's the Fed's job, but it's absolutely worth looking at as many options as possible to get this under control as quickly and as hopefully pain- painlessly as possible. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking with uh, Emily Stewart of Vox about inflation. Also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. David in Royal Oak, Julian Port, Huron, Tim and Shelby Township, Bernadette in Old Redford. You'll be up next if you want to join them on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. And again, you can go to Twitter and hashtag us, and uh, we'll include you in the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest today is Emily Stewart. She covers business and economics for Vox. She recently wrote a piece titled, What Aren't We Doing to Fix Inflation? And that is what we're talking about, is all the inflationary signs in our economy, all the things that all of us know are going on with inflation uh, in the economy when we go to the grocery store or the gas station or wherever to spend money. Um, we want to hear from you during the conversation as well. Tell us what this looks like on your end. What are you doing to make sure you've got enough money for the things you need while prices are absolutely sky high in some cases. Also, give us a sense of uh, what you were thinking last Tuesday when you went uh, to vote. Uh, Who did you vote for? uh, And did that, did that, uh, was that influenced by you thinking that that person could, uh, could do more about inflation uh, at the state level uh, at the federal level, the the members of Congress that uh, that we elected here in Michigan last week, uh, give us a sense of what your expectations look like now that the election's over, and focuses absolutely back on the idea that everything costs so much. Three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. That's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us, and we'll work into the conversation. I want to start with a Twitter comment from Shmi. She says, this sounds legit, but the record 40-year corporate profits speak volumes. She says, you guys are journalists. Stop using the word inflation and call it what it is, a fleecing corporate greed. That's the truth, so don't sugarcoat it. Uh, Emily, I I do want to talk about uh, the record profits that some businesses and some sectors are reporting. Shmi says that's what's going on, and we ought to be calling it that rather than Inflation. Uh, I'm I'm somebody who tends to push back against really simplistic uh, answers to to what I think are complicated questions. But no question, uh, there is a lot of there is a lot of profiteering going on. Uh, what should we make of that, and what role it's playing in all of this? You know, this is one that I think is to be personally. I always I'm not sure where I come down on this. I do think it is. Overly simplistic. There are certain groups. Um, I think Groundwork Collaborative is is the think tank that has done excellent work on this, kind of looking at the corporate end of this and looking at where profiteering is going on, where companies are saying in earnings calls, 
you know, we can raise prices X amount because we know our customers will come with it, um, come with us. And I spoke to one expert from there who talked about ideas to go after this, such as a corporate windfall, a profit windfall tax. So you think, for example, uh, oil and gas companies are making too much money. They're making a ton of money right now. So we do an excess profits tax on them. I think it's important to note that that Congress would have to go along with that. The Biden administration has talked about it. Um, also, just taking a look at monopolies and corporate power, which I think are not new. I, you know, the problem there is that corporate power was not invented uh, three years ago. Uh, concentration was not invented three years mm -hmm. ago. So it, it becomes difficult to say, well, wait a minute, how are prices going down for so long? Because it's important to remember, not the prices were going down, but, but inflation was really slow for the past 20 some years. Um, but I think that there is no denying here that at least probably in, in some areas of the economy, there is some some real you know, squeezing going on of consumers. The customer or businesses realize that they can raise prices a little bit, uh, and they are. And in certain sectors, they're making quite a bit of money off of this. And I think regardless of what you think about corporate power contributing to inflation, corporate concentration is generally something that we should talk about. And if this is a way to get us to talk about it, good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, Shmi, really appreciate the comment there on on Twitter. Let's go to Bernadette in Old Redford on the phones. Bernadette, welcome to the show. Thank you. I want to talk about a related topic, and that is the cost of living. I listen frequently um, to what the government says is the cost of living and poverty, and it so much does not match what it actually costs me to live. And I, my house is paid for, and I still, um, those figures are off, and I think that there is a manipulation of statistics to make things not look as bad. Hmm. Uh, Bernadette, I really, I really appreciate that perspective. Uh, Emily, respond to what Bernadette's talking about here. I mean, I, I, I don't think that I can speculate here on whether or not the Bureau of Labor Statistics is is flubbing the numbers on inflation, but I do think that there is a real sense that a lot of people have, myself included, that that this just feels really bad. Inflation feels really bad. That things are getting so expensive feels really bad. And I think sometimes, you know, the Biden administration has gotten better on this, on acknowledging, like, to put it short, this sucks, right? Like, this isn't fun for anyone. Uh, <laughs> this does not feel good. We know you don't feel good. And I do think also sometimes there's a sense of, you know, you need to spend money on certain things. If you have to drive to your job, there's no option to get around gas prices. Sure. You you have to go to the grocery store. You need certain things. And at the same time, people also want to be able to go on vacation. It's been a really tough couple of years. And, and I think sort of things getting a little bit more back to normal in terms of the pandemic. And then all of a sudden looking around and saying, well, you know, everything's more expensive now. I can't afford anything that I want to do now that I can or feel more comfortable actually doing these things. Oh, and by the way, maybe recessions on the horizon. It's just like not a good place to to be. It's not a good way to feel for anyone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bernadette, uh, appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Let's go next to Tim in Shelby Township. Tim, welcome to the show. Hello. 
Hey. Hello there. Thank, thank you for the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask about the corporate profits, and that's been, been broached already. So I'll pivot a little bit to talk about, ask a question about shareholder primacy uh, as being the gold standard for what corporations are about now. Mm. And the implications on that are that the money, the excess profits, whatever it is, goes to people who already have enough money to own stock as opposed to the people who are paying the money for the goods where that inflationary uh, pressure is felt, right? So it's a continued movement of capital to the top. Yeah. Uh, and that seems to be overlooked. It's like, oh, monetary policy, all this mysterious stuff that's going on. But it's a simple thing, and it feels like people aren't paying attention to the fact that their stock price is going up. They're going, great, but then they're complaining about the price of goods. They're, they're directly related. Right, right. Uh, Tim, I th- that's a really great question, and I think it's a really great uh, relationship to point out, right? Uh, uh, people who own, who own stock uh, right now in many cases are doing pretty well. Uh, lots of dividends going to be paid out uh, as we get closer to the end of the year. And, and of course, uh, you know, stock values are... Are, are still going up and and again this is part of the the puzzlement I think for that a lot of people have with inflation so many other things in the economy actually are doing pretty well this idea that uh, Joe Biden uh, the, you know the president of the United States can take uh, credit for creating 10 million new jobs in two years right I mean that's a that's a crazy number and it's a crazy positive number. So, so why does that also, um, you know, travel with these really expensive prices? And stock is is another is another way of of, of kind of looking at that and saying, well, if things are so good for that part of the economy, why aren't they good for prices? Emily, what's what's the answer to that? Well, I do think. First of all, shareholder primacy, again, beyond the bounds of inflation is something that we should talk about and think about more and more that the idea that businesses exist solely to make money for their shareholders without really having to think or being encouraged to think about that means for their workers or their communities or the impact on the environment, big big problem, big thing that we need to think about. Um, That being said, the stock market this year has been a little bit rocky. But obviously, it's so much better than it was when it crashed at the beginning of the pandemic. Anybody with money in the stock market as annoyed as they might feel on the day-to-day sometimes lately because of concerns about the Fed Mm -hmm. overall is much uh, better off. But I do think that we're getting at kind of a bigger bigger question here that is the big, big question mark, which is that the economy feels really bad because of inflation, but it actually remains quite resilient in a way that I think is it's pretty impressive, right? Like we have recovered most of all the jobs lost during the pandemic. Uh, the unemployment rate is very low. Workers' wages are not rising at the rate of inflation, but a lot of people got raises. They hadn't gotten raises in a long time in the past couple of years. Uh, job openings are still pretty high, albeit not at their heights. And it is a complicated story on the economy right now. I think one thing I always like to say is that Anybody who tells you that they're sure what's going on with the economy right now is lying to you. And I think that <laughs> and I think that's just the honest truth of it. It is really complicated and confusing. And and it is also unfortunate that, you know, beyond inflation, things are generally 
pretty solid, but inflation also just really makes you feel bad. Like to get back to gas prices, you're dry, even if you're not really getting gas every day, there are a few prices that we display on a sign every day for you, right? There, there are a few figures that we display on a sign. We're not putting 3.7% unemployment on a big sign, but you are seeing 450 a gallon every day that you exist in the world and go out and about your daily life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, really love, uh, really love the question uh, there about about what else is going on in the economy and uh, how inflation fits into it. Let's go to Sean in East Point. Sean, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Stephen. Hey. So um, nobody's mentioned the fact that when Trump got rid of NAFTA, how expensive things like wood went up. Five years ago, a piece of plywood, four by eight, half inch, was about $9. Today, it's about $45. Hmm. And I do you know a lot of side work. I, I can't bid jobs anymore. And then COVID. So many employees still aren't working. So, of course, prices are going to go up. And then as rents go up, it just makes it that much worse. So I haven't heard anybody mention those three areas. I was just wondering if that's been put, had any thought put into it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, Sean, I'm glad you called uh, and asked it. Emily, uh, again, the policy is the thing that drives all of this. Uh, are there policies that we should be, you know, really thinking about? I mean, I do think that like first and foremost, the way that we are approaching this policy wise, like it or not, is through the federal reserve. The fed is raising interest rates. The hope being that they slow down spending across the economy, that that cools off the economy. In an ideal world, we get a quote unquote soft landing where we don't actually go into a recession. Maybe, you know, I don't know what will happen there. Nobody does. Um, in terms of other policies, you know, it really depends on who you talk to. I do think the Biden administration is trying to pull whatever levers that it can. Um, but it really, like, the, the range of ideas is very, very broad on what to do about this, right? So if you talk to progressives, they'll say, like, we need more business investment. We need to, to shore up supply chains. So your caller just mentioned lumber. Part of what happened early last year and in 2020 was that sawmills and lumber mills slowed down production, didn't quite realize that everybody was going to have the same idea that they needed to build a new house or put out a new deck or whatever. And like we have this supply crunch. And so part of that is now if you want lumber mills and sawmills to kind of slow down or that they need to because the housing market is slowing down, then we kind of get ourselves into this vicious cycle. Um, but there are plenty of other things to think about. You can look at the CHIPS Act um, that was passed to boost semiconductor manufacturing in the U.S. You know, that eventually is meant to kind of help with, with car prices, right? Because used, used cars and new cars have been a huge driving factor in inflation. Um, you know, there also, if you look at the Inflation Reduction Act, the hope there is that it kind of helps the economy transition away from fossil fuels. So we're not so dependent on, on oil. And therefore, as oil prices fluctuate, it's not the end of the world for consumers who maybe have, a, you know, and businesses also, right? Um, you know, to give conservatives also a little bit of airtime here, the ones that I talked to uh, for the story that I wrote recently, a lot of them said, you know, part of it is just to stop spending, which runs a little bit against what progressives 
today, but here we are. That's ideology. Um, a couple of them mentioned, you know, maybe cutting some tariffs. Uh, and I did ask one progressive economist about this, and he said, you know, like it might not be at the top of my list, but like it, it might not hurt. There is some debate about whether student debt forgiveness uh, would do something around inflation. I tend to think probably not going to do much just because of the pause. People haven't been paying their loans anyway, really. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of ideas out there. That the question is, like, what will work? There's no one weird trick to fix inflation. Yeah. Um, because if there were, like, we'd have done it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Emily Stewart of Vox. It was really great to have you here to have this uh, this conversation with uh, me and our listeners. Thanks so much for joining us on uh, Detroit Lovely. Today. Great. Have a good rest of the day. Okay, uh, we're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking about inflation, but focus more closely on the auto industry and Michigan with Automotive News' Jamie Butters. We'll also continue to hear from you on the phones and on Twitter. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work into the conversation that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Thanks for joining us. We have been talking about inflation broadly in the economy today, and now we want to shift a little and turn more locally, talk about, in particular, the auto market. Why are car prices so high? What has caused car prices to soar the way they have? How much of this is related to these persistent supply chain issues that began during the pandemic? And what can lawmakers do to smooth out the issues in the auto world? If you have bought a new car in the last year, if you tried to buy a new car in the last year, or if you've bought a used car, you are very familiar with uh, all of the problems there and all of the money that it is costing you that it didn't used to. To help us understand what's going on and uh, maybe what can be done, we've got Jamie Butters with us. He is executive editor of Automotive News and co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast. Jamie, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. So let's talk about high prices in the car market. Used car prices are going down now, but for new vehicles, they're way up to 8% over last year. Uh, what is what is the explanation? You're going to make me say it, aren't you? Supply and demand. <laughs> Supply and demand, I mean, right? <laughs> Supply and demand. Um, you know, there's a there's been a real tight supply of new vehicles really for, you know, Two and a half years, a little, you know, more than two and a half years after production shut down and demand came roaring back. Uh, consumers couldn't really spend much money on other things. Uh, if they were going to get out of the house, they were going to be driving, and uh, so that really added pressure to the uh, to the car market. There's a not enough supply, partly because we yeah we missed production for a couple of months, but then 
the chip shortage, a uh, bit of a self-inflicted wound, but the automakers were trying not to get overextended and, you know, running out of cash is a bad thing. So they canceled some orders of chips and boy, did that turn out to be a bad move. Uh, because there was huge demand and they just couldn't get, they had to go to the back of the line. And it was uh, very difficult. We've seen, you know, really high prices, prices setting record highs every month. I think, you know, $45,000, $46,000 in October on average. And electric vehicles are even higher priced than that. And and we're still seeing these big lots, I feel like, of cars, uh, at auto plants that are just sitting there, not not being able to be sold because they don't have they don't have chips in them. Um, I, I mean, in any business, that kind of backlog would be, of course, damaging to the to the bottom line. Tell me how the car companies are doing. The prices are higher that they're able to get, but they aren't as able they aren't able to sell as many cars. They're they're doing surprisingly well, though. You know this. Um you know, we had for most of the you know quarter century that I've been covering the auto industry, dealerships have been full of vehicles. Uh, they have more than they can sell. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a well-run store might have two months worth of vehicles on the on the ground, and a, a lot of times companies would end up with three months or more, and they'd have to discount the vehicles, and profits weren't very high per vehicle. Most auto dealers lost money on new vehicles, but they'd make it up, you know, with service and used cars and such. Um, right now, with the scarcity, you know, automakers don't have to put big incentives on vehicles. They're selling, you know, everything is selling for sticker price or even a little above. So dealers are making basically record profits. Automakers are making record profits aside from, you know, a few headwinds here and there and the opportunity to write down billions of dollars in losses on autonomous vehicles and things like that. Uh, but they're really uh, benefiting from the lack of supply. They're not making vehicles that don't make them lots of money. Everything they make is uh, sells immediately and sells for basically a record high price. Hmm. So I guess then what's the incentive for the car companies to to solve this problem? I mean, the, the, the chip problem persists. If they're still able to, to do well in their business uh, and we're a little inconvenienced, uh, what's, what's, what shakes that loose uh, at some point? Well, the chance to sell more cars than the other company down the street. You know, mm-hmm. they make money on everyone they sell. If they could get more chips and make more, they would sell more, even to the point where ultimately the per profit per vehicle is going to decline. But uh, there's there's too much opportunity still out there, and everyone is you know all these companies GM, Toyota, Volkswagen on down the line are doing everything they can to get as many vehicles out there. They they say they're going to be more disciplined. They want to stay you know more in that month and a half worth of uh, of sales on hand. Uh, but the competitive juices always get flowing, and somebody thinks they can make a little more money and uh, or you know boost their stock price a little, they'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking with uh, Jimmy Butters. He's the executive editor of Automotive News and co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast. We're talking about the high price of new vehicles in particular right now uh, caused by supply shortages. I want to hear from you as well. Uh, Are you trying to buy a car right now? Um, Are you somebody who's really frustrated with the high prices of of new vehicles? Uh, Are you an automotive dealer or have you tried to uh, uh, have to work in the automotive sector recently? 
Talk about what this experience has been like uh, for you. What should automakers be doing to try to lower prices? What should the government be doing to to make some of these supply chain problems uh, lesser or maybe go away? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter at hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation that way. Um, Jamie, we have seen some policy changes that that are aimed at least uh, at solving <laughs> some of these problems. You know, we're going to we're going to make more chips here in mm-hmm. America. Uh, Congress has made that decision. And of course, there is always the incentive uh, that the government is trying to provide for the automakers to make more electric vehicles. Presumably that uh, that eases some of these questions, but uh, maybe it makes it worse. Uh, but, but talk about those two policy initiatives and how soon people would see relief from them. Yeah, that's the rub there. You know, it takes a lot of years to build an auto plant, to build a battery plant, to build a, a mine or mine, you know, mineral refining. Uh, it's, these are all, and the chip plants, they take a long time. They're very expensive and take a long time to build and get up to speed. So we're probably looking, you know, late this decade. Um, at at that point, you know, maybe they'll, maybe they'll overproduce and prices will be dangerously <laughs> low again. Uh, but hopefully and presumably what it'll provide is a more stable, you know, more robust localized supply chain for these really critical components or, you know, subcomponents, uh, you know, going forward into the 30s as we expect to see EV adoption grow considerably and and just and we know that the demand for computing power is is going to go up, not down. So those all make sense, but they're not anything that's going to help you if you're in the market right now. They're not anything that's going to be a big factor even probably in the next presidential election in terms of the economy, other than the extent that people might see big billion dollar announcements, you know, state after state and and believe that there are going to be good jobs uh, in the future. They just may not have those specific jobs, you know, yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I also want to talk about workers and how much more power they have in general in this economy and whether that is also true in, in the auto world uh, and also the relationship between the power that workers have and the prices that people pay uh, for new cars. Is there a tension there as well? And, and how are workers doing even as, uh, you know, as fewer cars are being sold? You know, it's, it's a complicated uh, question to answer because you have so many different types of employees, but I mean, Mm -hmm. let's start with the, the elephant in Detroit, which is the UAW. Mm -hmm. Um, They had a a very good contract uh, four years ago, but huh, we did not expect this kind of inflation, mm-hmm. right? And so even though you know they're earning good pay and if they're at a plant that can get enough chips, they're working overtime and they're doing well, but they do not feel, I'm sure they do not feel like they are getting ahead. Mm-hmm. And so um, like any you know union, they're gonna be pushing really hard to get, to feel like they're made whole uh, in the face of, in the wake of these you know record high inflation numbers. So, or, you know, highest in decades and so on. Uh, so there's gonna, that's going to put a lot of pressure on these negotiations uh, as the contracts come up this next fall, September 2023. Interestingly, 
this will be the first time in ages that the US Union and the Canadian Union will be negotiating effectively simultaneously. Their contracts expire hmm. basically the same time. Uh, you know, the the former Canadian, the Unifor president, uh, Jerry Dias, you know, really wanted that to happen. He felt like they were getting sort of the leftovers. But I don't know, you know, going head to head uh, between the UAW and, and Unifor, for, you know, which is the union formed out of the merger with the Canadian auto workers and, and the, the media workers. But, um, you know, they're going to be going head to head and it's going to be really interesting. You would, I would imagine the automakers would try to play one off of the other mm. and get them to not demand such uh, big wage increases or signing bonuses. Uh, but I have to believe that the workers on both sides are, they're expecting to get paid. Yeah, yeah. Uh, David on qu- Twitter has an interesting question. He says the rising cost of car ownership is squeezing consumers too. Even used cars are, of course, more expensive these days. He says we cannot afford a second car payment, so we have to get by for the next two years until our one vehicle is paid off. The the, the, the rising cost, not just of autos and auto-related expenses, but everything else uh, also seems like it could slow sales, um, you know, even if, they're, if, even if they could meet demand. In other words, that people just don't have the kind of money to buy a new car and spend on a new car when they're, you know, doubling their grocery bill or their heating bill mm-hmm. or, or other things. What's, what's the relationship there? Well, and the other big one is is the cost of borrowing is yes. going up, you yes. know, because the, the Federal Reserve is trying to um, tamp down inflation. So they're making borrowing more expensive. The idea is more on the on the uh, business side, make it more expensive for companies to build factories, maybe get them to slow down a little. Um, but the upside is if you're trying to buy a home, you know, and home house prices, we know went bonkers um, and have stayed, you know, incredibly high. If you're trying to buy a home or you're trying to buy a car, the amount of home or car that you can buy is coming down and it's coming down dramatically. Uh, it grows, you know, it's like compounding interest. Uh, when the interest rates go up, you know, the, the ability to stretch is less. And of course, this sense to the extent that the Fed is trying to bring on or get close to a recession, uh, prices are not going to keep just going up uh, super fast. So it's not like you can, uh, you know, buy a house tomorrow for a for a million dollars and and turn around and sell it for one point two in six months because that doesn't seem to be the trajectory yeah. right at this point. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News and co-host of the Automotive News Daily Drive podcast. It's always great to have you here with us on Detroit today. Thanks for coming by. Anytime, Stephen. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we are going to talk with the new Speaker of the Michigan House of Representatives, Joe Tate. He is the first African-American to be House Speaker. We're going to talk about uh, that and uh, the first time in a really long time that the Speaker comes from the city of Detroit as well. We'll also talk about what agenda the Democrats are going to lay out when they take control of Lansing for the first time in 40 years in January. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.